News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete our show. Legislative Republicans filed an emergency motion yesterday in Wake County Superior Court seeking to block two liberal professors from helping review revised congressional and legislative maps. I want to welcome back to the program, as we do every Tuesday at uh, 2 o'clock, the Speaker of the North Carolina House. Tim Moore, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Pete. I hope you're doing great today. I am. I am doing all right. So, uh, all right, well, I guess I'll just start with real general. What are your thoughts on this latest development out of the blue? Well, I'll tell you, it just shows what an absolute sham this notion is by the Democrats that they want, quote, nonpartisan redistricting. What they want is they want to gerrymander the lines to elect Democrats. And what happened, in case some of the listeners aren't aware of the details of what happened in this case, we discovered, uh, and by the way, there's no contradiction this happened. We actually have the email correspondence, and their own attorneys admitted it, uh, that the, the, uh, a couple of the folks who were helping the special masters uh, assess the fairness of these districts, who, by the way, are Democratic hacks, uh, reached out to the experts for the plaintiffs, the Democrats who had sued, in violation of an order from the court. And they did so with what's called ex parte communication, which means they didn't give notice to the other side, and they did it in secret. Their attorneys basically reported it because they knew that it was, it was not legal to do so and that their law license would be on the, on the line if they didn't do so. Ah. But that's what's happened. And to think that these guys, uh, these Democratic hacks, are being consulted for anything is an absolute outrage. Uh, and it just shows the, 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 the false premise that uh, these folks are using. You know, we, we passed maps. We passed maps that complied with the law. And we had a Supreme Court that went in and just made up new law, whole cloth, to try to find a way to set it aside. But you know what we did, Pete? We went through and we found a way to even draw the maps in a way that complies with that law, uh, that, that, that ridiculous law that they passed. We, we passed it in a way to do it. And now they're, it, for them to not approve it would be the, like, ultimate judicial tyranny. And uh, I, I'm hopeful uh, that they will approve it because if they don't, I, you know, I don't know what the next steps will be, but uh, they, they will be quite, uh, I would say they'll be quite dramatic and severe. So, all right, so first thing I have to ask is then who appointed the special master's research assistants? Who, who, who hired these four, uh, these four professors? So the so the three judge panel was appointed that. the three special masters that that were to help them, and then those three special masters are the ones, as I understand, who then hired these assistants to help them. Uh, that that's that's the way it has been explained to me. All right, and so then why would Bob Edmonds and Bob Orr sign off on these guys? Uh, that's a good question, and I, but that's a question that only they can answer, and I can't answer. Right. Uh, be, because because it didn't take much of a Google search, frankly, <laughs> for for our staff to Google who these guys were. You know, we didn't find out they were even appointed until like I think Saturday or so. It was over the over the weekend. But a quick Google search found that this this Wang fellow actually had been, uh, I believe, uh, uh, discredited in some other states for basically doing something similar. Yeah. Uh, I just I, we just we're scratching our heads on this one, but. You know what it may do. What it may do is it may actually just point out to the court that you know what they they need to rely they need to follow the Constitution and let 
the North Carolina General Assembly, which has this constitutional responsibility, draw these districts. So, it, good, but I'll tell you. What, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Pete. No, I was just going to say we. But but what's interesting is with the metrics that they laid out, those maps fully comply. Uh, the state house maps, a state house maps, of course, passed one fifteen to five. Frankly, the congressional maps should have passed along the same lines, but I think the the other side was just kind of dug in on that one. And then the state Senate, I don't know why that one was a party line vote, because I, I like I said, I've seen the stats on all of them. And the state Senate maps uh, are, are you know, meet the criteria as well. So a lot of questions out there. Right. So, And that's what I was going to ask you about. I, I, uh, before you came on the show, I was reading through uh, Dr. Andy Jackson's uh, write up over at the John Locke Foundation today, where he ran the maps through these whatever their algorithms are and their criteria, their, the, the math side of it. And he said these are all in compliance by the court's own standards, the plaintiff standards, right? They, they, they check all the boxes. And so if you're going to comply with the Constitution of the state of North Carolina, these maps have to come from the General Assembly, right? That's 100% correct. I mean, I mean, and the way you do it is it's not really a matter of asking someone to give their opinion there's this software program that's used to draw the maps, and it's called Maptitude. And you can plug this criteria in there, the, these, these uh, statistical differences that they're asking for. You can plug them in. We even know the data that they want to use because they referenced it in the previous hearings. It's called the Mattingly data, which is a series of election results from 2016 and 2020. And guess what, Pete? We used that data. So we used the data the court had, and we use the the percentages that they they thought that they sh- that they should be in, and we did that on these maps. So the notion that it wouldn't be approved is would, would it would it would sh- if it's not approved, it's got to be pure politics and not e- not even masquerading as law well at that point. Um, and so I I, I do notice that uh, there's the area of Mecklenburg that uh, that now I live in keeps getting moved around in the congressional maps. Um, and so we're, I'm not really sure what, I think I'm still in, I, I think I'm still in the 14th. And you are aware that people are, room, the rumor is that like people are saying that you're interested in that, in, in running for that seat. You are aware that rumor exists, right? I, I, I heard some of that around. <laughs> I did hear some of that rumor. <laughs> what do you think of that rumor? Well, I'll say this. Uh, I got a big job right now presiding over the house trying to make sure the courts don't just completely hijack this thing you know we had some great success this week with uh, convincing governor cooper to finally take the mask off of kids in schools uh, we had to send a letter then we had to pass a bill and then all of a sudden they're like oh yes yeah, a great idea we've been on them for months but we finally were able to get together the votes to make it happen um and and i and i'm just i'm proud of what we've done in north carolina i haven't decided uh, what I'm going to do as far as that, I would say that we just need to see what how the maps finally sort out. Hey, listen, who knows with this court, they may end up putting Cleveland County down with South Carolina before. So with who the heck knows? Uh, but, you know, let's just wait and see what happens with the, uh, with the, with the process. I want to see it through. And once that's done, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take a look. at. All that. right. I'm just I'm trying not to take it personally that it doesn't seem like anybody wants to represent me. 
That's all. I'm just trying not to. You know, you, you might be high maintenance. I don't know, man. I just will have to find out. We, hey, I need to find out your precinct really quick. Hold on. I might need to call the court. We'll yeah, there. You, yeah, I don't even know. It's actually, yeah, well, it's a new development, actually. And so we don't even have an address at this point. We're still trying to get that registered with the Postal Service. So, yeah, there's. I, I, yeah. I'll tell you what, with this court, Pete, they might draw you in with, like, Northern Virginia or something. Yeah. Who knows? How about. I was with. I, I was going to say, I was meeting with one of the U.S. Senate candidates, and I said, hey, bad news. I think the Democrats are going to try to redraw your district. And he looked at me kind of puzzled. I said, yeah, I think you're going to now have in, like, part of New York and uh, part of Northern Virginia in your district the way they're talking. So It's possible. You don't ever know. It's hard to tell. Um yeah, there you go. I don't know what happened with the rim. There you go. There's the rim shot for you. Well, you know, uh, you know, you know, they, they're they're trying to find a way to draw the line so that like AOC could be a member of Congress in North Carolina, right? Just, just think. There you just go. think, Pete. She could maybe be your representative. How cool would that be for you? Uh, that would be all right. I mean, or maybe just like our house, like my wife and I, we would have our own congressional representative. Like, like literally your street, like in your block. Right. There you go. Yeah, we could do something like that. I think, I, I mean, I don't know. Her politics seem a little off, but it would be entertaining. It would be entertaining. There you go. There you go. I'll, I'll, I'll see if we can put in a request for you on that one. All right. Well, that sounds good. All right. I'm feeling the love now. This is good. All right, uh, Speaker of the House, Tim Moore. Always a pleasure, sir. Thanks so much. We'll talk with you soon. Thanks, Pete. Take care. All right, you too. Join all of us at WBT and the largest group of WBT alumni ever gathered together for one event. It's like the setting of, like the premise of that Lone Survivor series. They're going to keep me back at the station. As the lone, No, I'm kidding. WBT's 100th anniversary celebration, Saturday the 9th, Holton Theater. Get your tickets and all of the event details at WBT.com. Um, saw this polling of Hispanic voters. Republican Party has made massive gains among Hispanic voters since the 2020 presidential election, cutting the Democratic advantage by nearly 20%. Democrats only hold an advantage over Republicans with Hispanic voters at 44 to 37%. This is according to the National Republican Congressional Committee's Battleground Survey Project. Just released, the margin has significantly narrowed since the 2000 exit polling, which showed Hispanic voters were 63% Democrat and 36% Republican. So it was a two-to-one margin, and now it is down to, uh, what, a 7% spread, uh, spread. When pressed on specific issues, the survey finds... That Hispanic voters in battleground districts are extremely or very concerned about inflation. 78%. That's not good for Democrats. They're also very concerned or extremely concerned about the cost of food and groceries. 74%. And gas prices. 70%. 74% of respondents agreed that parents should have a say in what is taught at their kids' school. That is a key GOP talking point. Overall, 41% of battleground Hispanic voters said Republicans are better able to protect the American dream, while 35% said Democrats. This is not good. I covered some of this stuff yesterday. I've told you, like, I don't rely on a single poll. And I didn't just run through those numbers. And I don't like the horse race stuff. I really don't like the horse race. Like, Oh, candidate A is that is polling at this percent, and candidate B is polling at this percent. I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I'm into the trend lines. I want to know the trends. 
You know, Joe Biden's approval numbers are, you know, whatever. Right now, this poll today, whatever, it's a snapshot. Show me the trend line. I want to know the trend line. And by the way, the trend line there is not good either. But this stuff, this stuff matters. When you're talking about uh, perception, perceptuals in the biz, they call them perceptuals. Like, how do people perceive the parties or the candidates on certain uh, issues and topics? And this is a major shift. And this is... Part of the problem, I covered this a couple of weeks ago also, where the guy who uh, first advanced the very notion of the demographics, our destiny model, right? This mantra that the Democrats have been relying on, that guy himself says, yeah, we kind of like assumed that Hispanic voters would become Democrats and would always remain Democratic voters. And that is not bearing out to be true. There are a lot of Hispanic voters that identify more as conservatives for many, many reasons. Many reasons. Um, earlier in the show, I talked about a piece at the uh, Yahoo News written by John Ward. Is this the year of the angry parent? And that the GOP certainly hopes so. But there are a couple of larger points I want to pull out of this, uh, of this piece. The appeals to parental anger are wrapped into a larger sense of frustration that many Americans feel over a host of issues. Rising inflation and higher costs of living. That's There's the connection between Hispanic voters. Their concerns are American concerns because they're Americans. I feel the need to point this out because I think a lot of times people, they I don't know why, they see... Ethnic groups is not American, but they are American and they have the very same concerns and their concerns are aligning with the Republicans. They are also concerned about a spike in crime rates. American voters are the fact that COVID has persisted for almost two years is also a concern, as is ongoing political polarization and divisiveness. Many Americans want to move on and stop living in a defensive crouch towards COVID, and they want Democrats to stop nagging people about masks and vaccines. Yes, stop nagging us about this stuff. It's part of the Democrats' bigger identity problem. They are seen by many as more interested, get this, more interested in judging people for thinking or saying the wrong thing than they are in helping people. News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete Callender here. Thanks a lot for letting me be a part of your day. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can get the podcast at WBT.com. Each hour is its own standalone podcast. It gets delivered right to your smartphone or tablet every single weekday. Um, Democrats' identity problem. They are seen by many as more interested in judging people for thinking or saying the wrong thing than they are in helping people. Michael Steele, the former Republican lieutenant governor of Maryland, MSNBC contributor guy, he said, Democrats need to give voters comfort that you get, uh, need to give voters comfort that you get what their frustrations are. Just stop judging them, he says. Which, of course, then, like, makes me wonder, like, well, what's the point of being a leftist at all if you can't judge people? Because that's, like, kind of their jam. That's the whole, like, their whole identity. 
Even the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee has concluded that many voters find their party to be, quote, preachy and judgmental, according to polling and focus groups. Large swaths of red America have felt this way for quite some time. (laughs) What makes this moment different, though, is that Democrats are seeing these attitudes creep into portions of the electorate where they have historically had support. Frustration with the general drift of progressive politics is eating into the Democratic base. A similar exhaustion with Liberal cultural priorities appears pervasive among suburban voters who were crucial to Democratic wins back in 2018 and 2020. And yes, there's some critical race theory stuff involved in all of this, but underlying all of this frustration is the pandemic. During the school closures, parents were asked to oversee their children's education in a way they never had before. And they did. They're digging in. They're paying very close attention to what's happening now. And when parents felt like the schools weren't even getting the basics right, parents rightly became very frustrated. This, to me, is one of the keys. It really is. The pandemic exposed a lot of stuff inside K-12 government schools to the parents that, up until then, were not aware of a lot of the stuff that was going on. Because a lot of parents just thought that, oh, you know, Got, got a good teacher, we got a, quote, good school, and I send my kid to the school, and then they come out, and they are, you know, prepared for life, and yay, that's what it's all about. And then you start seeing, oh, my God, this is what you're teaching my kid? Wait, what is this lesson? Wait, how many days off are you getting per week? And you start realizing that all the money you're paying in taxes is not actually educating your kid adequately. That has been a real eye-opener, and it gets to something, I say it, and I, I try to highlight this every chance I get, it's that when you get mission creep or project creep inside government, or any institution for that matter, I mean, it happens in the corporate world as well, but you, you lose sight of your objective. What's the objective? Stick to your knitting is another way my dad would always say, stick to your knitting or stay in your lane, right? What is it that you are trying to do? The more... You expand uh, the guardrails out of them. The wider you make that lane, chances are you're not going to do your core objective well anymore. Chances are that's going to suffer as you start branching out and doing more and more things. Not always, but usually the case. And this is the big problem with bigger government. Not only do you get more politics and people are like, oh, I hate politics. I don't like politics. Well, if you don't like politics then you should be a limited government proponent. You should want there to be limited government so you don't have to pay attention to politics so much. That would be nice, right? Really, like we could do, we could do topics on, uh, on the program here like uh, best place to get a burger or uh, is a hot dog a sandwich, right? Like we could do, I've done those topics. Literally, I've done those topics and I'm, I'm happy to do them. But everything has become politicized now. And the reason why is because government has invaded virtually every aspect of our lives. And if you don't like the politics and you don't like being pit against your friends and family and neighbors over, you know, culture war issues and, and, you know, political questions and issues, then shrink government. 
Make it focus on the core services. This is one of the reasons why I am a supporter of only district representation on Charlotte City Council. Get rid of the at-large seats. You know why? Because when you have district reps, they focus more on their constituent services. Fixing potholes. Making sure the sidewalks are uh, are walkable. That sort of stuff. Core services. When cities get so big and their funding, their budget gets so big, they start doing all of these other things. And you can make arguments for all of those other things. Lord knows I've sat through many a PowerPoint presentation. Probably, oh gosh, I don't know if I added up all the hours I have spent watching city and county PowerPoints about all of the, uh, all it was, the, uh, Keith Larson used to call the shiny, all the sh- bright, shiny projects and all that. All those meetings I sat through for all those years. And what happens? You lose sight of your core services. And then roads don't get resurfaced. Lights don't get fixed. Potholes don't get repaired. Sidewalks fall into disarray. Stuff like that. Police don't get funded. Fire departments, all of that stuff. It happens. You lose sight of your core objective. So that's what um, I think a lot of parents realized in the pandemic. That this K-12 government model has lost sight of its, uh, its core objective. What is it supposed to be doing? You're graduating kids out of all of these grades, and they're not at grade level. They cannot read. I mean, some of the some of the uh, the learning loss, which again, Tamika Walker Kelly, head of the teachers union, don't call it a union in North Carolina, says learning loss is not a thing; it's a myth. Um, but when you look at the actual learning loss that the children have experienced, it is shocking. It's abusive, is what it is. You send all of these kids to these virtual learning environments, and you got. Thousands of kids that just didn't go to school. They just didn't go. You got thousands of teachers that didn't go. Seriously. Like, there were teachers that just didn't show up. I, like, I don't know what to tell you, except that model's broken. And I keep saying it, but nobody wants to abandon the model. Everybody's like, oh, I just remember it used to be good. Eh, it used to be adequate. It used to serve a purpose, particularly when, like, we were the only superpower, I think. And we were competing against, like, you know, half a planet that had no formal education. And then, like, the rest of the half of the other planet, like, had been obliterated from World War II. So, I mean, it was kind of easy to compete with. Seriously, like, it's kind of easier to compete. Now, everybody's, like, built up. You got a lot more people. That, like, you got entire civilizations that have just leapfrogged right past the... Uh, uh, you know, telephone poles, and they're all digital now. So, yeah, I mean, there's that actually happens. Yeah, did you know there's there's greater um, was it greater cell phone penetration in Africa than hardwire telephones? They never built them. They never had. So that means they don't have to keep up with the cost of all that infrastructure, right? There are there's a benefit to like that that technological leap that they get to make. So, like I say, all of this just to say, look. The schools, the K-12 model, it's broken. I think a lot of parents became very aware of that. And uh, the frustration that parents have now is that the schools can't even get the basics right. They can't even teach the kids reading, writing, and arithmetic. But now we're being told that we have to, you know, spend way more money and increase everybody's pay. And, oh, we got to do all of the critical race theory stuff, too. And it's like, you know what? No, this has got to stop. 
News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. Pete show. The takeaway here for Democrats is that moving on from the mask mandates, as many already are, that is just the bare minimum. Charlotte Mecklenburg schools, you heard uh, in the earlier newscasts that uh, the prediction here, Rhonda Cheek, the school board member, told uh, Bo Thompson this morning that she fully anticipates there to be a very lengthy discussion, but then that she does anticipate that they will, in fact, repeal the mask mandate. Because if the county did it, then why would the school district keep it in place if the county isn't enforcing it? And if you've been walking around Mecklenburg County, as I have over the last few days, it's pretty well over, right? You go into the different stores and now you're at probably 60 to 70% of the people that are not masked. By the way, I've not witnessed personally any ostracizing or uh, bullying of people for wearing their masks as everybody was so concerned would happen. That is the bare minimum is the repeal of the mask mandates. The party controls both Congress and the White House And John Ward, writing at uh, Yahoo News, says that means it's very difficult for the Democrats to blame Republicans for the hard times that have befallen millions of Americans. Poll after poll tells you people are primarily concerned about economic issues and inflation. Both parties are now floating short-term ideas to stem the effects of inflation, such as a suspension of gas taxes and other forms of relief. However, economists generally argue that bringing inflation under control is actually going to take a lot more than that. Yeah, uh, it's kind of like we said when y'all were spending all of the money and printing all of the money and a trillion here and a trillion there. And I'm not going to go over six trillion. That's my number. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're going to cause inflation like Bad inflation, maybe even hyperinflation. No, no, no. This is a brand new economic theory. This is MMT. This is sounds like a drug, and it kind of is. It's MMT. It's modern monetary theory, and it means we just keep spending. We just keep printing and spending, and debt doesn't matter. And I guess we're all going to find out whether that's true. I have a suspicion it wasn't true, just based on, you know, historical precedent in many other nations that tried to do it. But what do I know? I'm not an economist. The Democrat strategist that's quoted in this piece at Yahoo News suggests a focus on education and helping young people get subsidized or get free community college. That's their answer. So what's their answer for the inflation? How about some free community college? Huh? Who wants some free community college? Do you realize how we got into this mess? This is their big plan to fight back against the GOP strategy of just highlighting, hey, yeah, the economy stinks, huh? Yeah, you basically took a pay cut, like a 20% pay cut. It's fantastic, right? Oh, yeah, look at that. Food and groceries up 40%. And your response to that attack is, hey, how about some more free stuff with some money that we don't have? Democrats could also communicate plans to help students make up for the impact of learning that was lost during the pandemic. Ooh, run on a platform of summer school. That's a great idea, too. You guys are, man, some barn burners coming out of this piece, huh? Democrats, you guys should be really 
confident in your prospects for the upcoming midterms. Really? I mean, you get to run on, you get to run on inflation, gas prices, uh, subsidizing free community college with money we don't have, uh, and summer school. I mean, that sounds like a really popular platform. Some Democrats are also going out of their way to present a more empathetic face to voters and to parents of students in particular. Oh, I care. I care. You'll see. Bring Bill Clinton back out. Some Democrats, particularly those who are up for competitive elections this fall, are catching on to the reality that their party's brand has become toxic to a wide swath of the electorate. This is the second piece in two days I have brought to you that describes the Democratic brand as toxic. The fact that other Democrats still don't understand how profoundly vulnerable their party has become on a host of issues helps to explain why many observers see Republicans primed for a big win this fall across the country. In this story, I've actually been sitting on this for quite a while. It's out of Axios. Um, But it relates to uh, this topic. And it's a headline that really says it all. Latino groups want to do away with Latinx or Latinx because, of course they do, Elected officials, a major newspaper, and the oldest Latino civil rights organization in the United States have all spoken out strongly in recent weeks against the continued use of the term Latinx or Latinx. However you choose to pronounce it, it's a made-up word. It's a gender-neutral term promoted by progressives because the Latino, Latina, that's a masculine-feminine Uh, conjugation, I think is what they call it, right? If you speak Spanish or French or any of the Romance languages, right, they have these masculine forms and feminine forms, and we can't have that because there's no difference, right? And so they just changed the terms for an entire group of people. I don't think they even asked them. Academic and social media circles began using Latinx over the last decade, saying it was more gender neutral and inclusive for Hispanic LGBTQ members. But Nevada political consultant Alex O. Diaz, I think he's uh, Irish, Alex O. Diaz, uh, he told, no, he told Axios the term has not caught on in working class Mexican American communities where more people, uh, where people are more concerned about jobs in schools than they are about identity. Yeah. Some people also feel this is a term that's being imposed upon them and that it's not organic. And I suspect, by the way, that's because it is being imposed upon them and it is not organic. Just spitballing on that one. Representative Ruben Gallego, Democrat from Arizona. He's the head of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus's campaign arm. And uh, he announced his congressional staff is no longer allowed to even use the term in any official communications. That's it. The Miami Herald recently wrote an editorial also denouncing the term and urging left-leaning activists to, quote, just drop it. They were promptly accused of newspaper splaining. I don't know. This is amazing. The shift that is occurring. You hate to see it, really. You just hate to see it. All right, that's a wrap for the uh, episode today. Appreciate you listening. Brett Winterbill coming up next on News Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. I'll catch you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.